Warning, this show may contain adult content, language, and humor, and is intended for mature audiences. If that's not you, please stop listening now. Nothing you hear on Sex and Science Hour is intended as medical advice, financial advice, legal advice, therapy, or really anything other than entertainment. Please take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Oh, and if you're hearing us on an affiliate network, the ideas and views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the network you're listening on or of any sponsors or affiliate products you might hear about on the show. Now that all that's out of the way, let's start the show. This is Sex and Science Hour with Brian Sovereign and Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Get your freak on. Well, happy holidays, everybody. I hope everybody's having a joyous, festive time with their families and their friends. And, you know, I say happy holidays because I really don't want to say the C word on the show. I mean, I know we try to make the show like less profane. We are on the radio in some parts of the world, so we try to be respectful of folks and uh, didn't want to use the C word. Wait, wait, what? Yeah, but what's the C word? Well, I can't say it because then it wouldn't, I wouldn't have to refer to it as the C word. Wait, is it, is it cock? No, not cock. Well, we can say cock on the show. We can? So, well, yeah, what does that even have to do with the holidays? Oh, there's nothing like cock for the... Right? Yeah, no, exactly. Okay. Uh, is it, is it cunt? No, it's not cunt. We can say cunt on the show. We can? Yeah. Why not? I don't even say that in life. <laughs> okay, well, that's a good point. That might be too vulgar for some folks, but that wasn't the C word I was referring to. Hanukkah? No, it's not Hanukkah. We can say Hanukkah. We can? Yes. And now you've exhausted your three guesses, so I guess I just have to go ahead and say it. I was trying to make this a clean episode here. We are talking about the birth of baby Jesus. Oh, you know, not that word. Yes, oh, that's the word. That's the worst. That's, should I not say it? Don't. Does everybody know what I mean? Oh, it makes my ears ring Should I leave I something it? to the imagination it's for not once? Bells. Yeah, yeah, I guess yeah, I will. Yeah, leave it to the imagination. Okay. <laughs> well, happy C word, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's terrible. It was terrible. It happy was a- Saturnalia, everyone. <laughs> yeah, Saturnalia. Amelia Yule for the pagans out there. I recently saw a girl on Facebook who was wearing like a holly wreath and she was in front of some witchy looking books and I kind of just got this pagan vibe from her. So I said, are you pagan? And uh, I don't remember what she said, but I think she was. So I think there's more <laughs> pagans out there than we give, give them credit for. So whatever you're celebrating or not celebrating this time of year, uh, hope you're having a good time. We certainly are, as good as we can anyway, because, you know, this was a rough year for everybody. I think everybody's pretty much excited to see 2016 in its la- on its last legs and hey. the inevitability of uh, the next year coming. We're doing Chinese dinner in a movie. That's There's always the best. There's nothing better than that that C-word. you could ask for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, we're, we're doing a C-word special. Uh, tonight here on Sex and Science Hour. It is Friday night. And uh, we, uh, you know, since it's kind of the holidays, and this is like our last show of 2016, uh, but we're going to be back next year, of course, you know, we're not going anywhere. But we figured we'd do something a little bit special for tonight and do all listener emails because, you know, we seem to be getting a lot of them. 
We're getting a lot of show prep suggestions from people. We're getting a lot of, uh, you know, explanations when we like speculate about what people bought on Amazon through our link at stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. Uh, we're, we're speculating about it and people actually have the goodwill to write in and explain what they were doing when they bought those things. And sometimes it's very different than what we thought. So. <laughs> we're getting a lot of that stuff and we're getting, uh, you know, cool articles and relationship questions. So I figured why not just do a blowout and sort of clear the table of all the listener emails that we've got for 2016. So that way we can start our next show with a, with a totally clean slate and uh, have all of our listener emails answered. What do you think about that, Brian? I, I love the sound of it. Cool. I, I think that's wonderful. What a great idea for a happy C word. Yes. A happy, happy. I, oh, hold on. I just want to make sure the C word isn't capitalism, is it? No. Oh, it's, oh no, that's Ooh, dirty. Oh, that's hell. dirty. Or capitalism, <laughs> as you've coined it. <laughs> whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I'm getting... All right, go, go, go. Before that, we get into that, trouble. Oh, now see, now we have to explain it. It's <laughs> not that. It's not that we hate capitalism or anything. I would. I, I mean. Well, wait. What? All right. No. Okay. Yeah. Go. 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 No. Please don't say that because people get the wrong impression. They think we're some kind of commies or something like that. <laughs> wait. Is that the C word? No, that's not the C word either. <laughs> Boy, we're saying a lot of awful lot of C words that aren't the C word. <laughs> All right. Well, then, okay, go. Like, okay. So it's not that we hate capitalism. It's just that some of the people who are vocal proponents of capitalism uh, can sound a little obnoxious sometimes, and it's fun to make fun of them. A little? <laughs> yeah, not more than a little. Like, incredibly obnoxious. <laughs> yeah, I'm a huge fan of free markets. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also, like, a lot of times when people use the word capitalism – one of the C words, they're really referring to like crony capitalism. They're right. not actually talking about like the the beautiful free market, which is just voluntary exchange between people with no third parties like governments stepping in. You know, they're talking about like crony capitalism where people scratch each other's backs and there's nepotism and favoritism and government largesse and contracts and, you know, Ooh, corporate welfare. Yeah. Oh, contracts. Oh, that's gosh. another one. Oh, <laughs> Merry contracts. Boy, that'd be the... I can think of some people that would celebrate that day. Well, that, of course, goes along with the B word, which is blockchains. <laughs> All right. None of those. Okay. We got to get onto our show prep, okay. man. Okay. So we are doing a special tonight where we're doing all listener emails. And our first one comes in from, uh, well, it comes in from a listener. This was a suggested show prep. And this is a great one. So we had to start off the show with a bang. The phenomenon of bud sex between straight rural men. Oh, so now we do get to say cocks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, th there was never any prohibition on that anyway. <laughs> so this is from New York Mag, nymag.com by Jesse Single. And it has a picture of like, basically they look like Brokeback Mountain, like two cowboys standing in the middle of a cornfield in the Midwest, gazing out over the cornfield. And, yeah. And uh, not touching, but maybe talking to each other, maybe negotiating their... It's like maybe they're their wearing they wearing assless chaps. Is that no? They're wearing like blue jeans that you would get at oh, Walmart and a flannel okay. shirt. Just checking. Uh, <laughs> so this is fast. This is totally fascinating to me. Here we go. A lot of men, says the article, have sex with other men, but don't identify as gay or bisexual. A subset of these men who have sex with men, or MSM, that's how it's abbreviated in like the academic literature when they talk about men who fuck other men live lives that are, in all other respects, other than their occasional homosexual encounters, quite straight and traditionally masculine. They have wives and families, they embrace various masculine norms, and so on. They're able to, in effect, compartmentalize an aspect of their sex lives in a way that prevents it from blurring into or complicating their more public identities. 
Sociologists are quite interested in this phenomenon because it can tell us a lot about how humans interpret thorny questions of identity and sexual desire and cultural expectations. Now, I'm fascinated by it too, for all of those reasons. And because um, I think there was a movie about this, and it was like one of my favorite movies, Brokeback Mountain, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I get it. I understand why people like the movie. You didn't like Brokeback Mountain? <laughs> what didn't you like about it? Was it the butt sex no, with no lube in the middle of a field? No, or no, was it? No, just no. The, move on. Uh, <laughs> what, you don't like Jake Gyllenhaal? Yeah, He's got a t-shirt that says I was a gay cowboy before it was cool. <laughs> I mean, how can you not like that? I liked him in Donnie Darko after that. Yeah, I think he kind of went, he kind of lost his way. Mm. Ever since, I mean, you know, that's great that he's, you know, all for, uh, you know, supporting and, and, you know, portraying the gays on, on in Hollywood. But then he goes and he does his bit of whitewashing on Prince of Persia. And I thought that was horseshit. If oh. he had any, if he, if he had half a mind, he that. would have said, I'm not doing this movie. I have no business being in this. So whatever. Anyway. Right on. Okay. So last year, they say NYU Press published the fascinating book, Not Gay, Sex Between Straight White Men by the University of California Riverside gender and sexuality professor Jane Ward. In it, Ward explored various subcultures in which what could be called, quote, straight homosexual men, <laughs> which is an oxymoron, <laughs> abound. Not just ones that you'd expect, like the military and fraternities. Fraternities? Who was expecting that? Except, I mean, I think I've seen a gay porn or two that starts that way, but does that really happen in frats? I can imagine. I mean, I, I never really I spent guess. much time in college. In the military, I'll tell you, it happens all the time. Yeah. I mean, it is nonstop. As someone that You've was been in the, in the military, army. Yes, yeah, uh, that's right. Like, I mean, that it really, really goes down. You get a lot of bro loving. Yeah. I mean, I, in my private fantasies, because I actually kind of have a, I, I can get turned on by gay men sometimes. I, I always imagine like a football locker room getting kind of steamy, like with the football team when they're <laughs> slapping each other with their towels and they're naked on the slapping butts. Slapping with hot mops. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I imagine it might get a little bit homoerotic in there. Everybody's looking at each other's dicks, checking them out. At first, it starts innocently to, you know, like compare your size to his. But then then you start getting a little bit turned on and you're like, whoa, where is this coming from? Hmm. My mind. played sports. You got the testosterone going. Okay. Got to do something about that. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I've never been a guy in a men's locker room. This, this is for sure. Well, I can tell you, they don't look. <laughs> like, unless unless something's really going they down. just keep to like, themselves. They, well, they what, really, maybe they you're do. not hanging out in the right locker room, sweetie. Uh, well, that's entirely possible. But, <laughs> but fraternities, like, I mean, that's, that's kind of like fantasy material, I think, for some people. But I guess it, maybe it does happen. It, maybe it's not as out there as it seems. Because I always thought of fraternities as being, like, kind of – you know, they might joke about gay stuff, right? But everybody's really straight and you you wouldn't cross a certain line. It's just like they might kind of... I don't know, a bunch know, of cock jacks hanging kind of out. jokes about it. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <sighs> so uh, straight homosexual sex, so-called, abounds not just in the places you'd expect, like the military and fraternities, but also biker gangs and conservative suburban neighborhoods. To better understand how the participants in these encounters experienced and explained their attractions, identities, and rendezvous. But not all straight MSM have gone, gotten the same level of research attention. One relatively neglected such group argues the University of Oregon sociology and doctoral student Tony Silva in a new paper in Gender and Society is rural straight white men. Well, neglected if you set aside Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> 
Uh, Silva sought to find out more about these men, so he recruited 10 from Men for Men Casual Encounters boards on Craigslist and interviewed them for about half an hour or an hour and a half each. So this this is a guy writing his PhD thesis in gender studies. He goes on Craigslist and he trolls for men seeking men okay. that are closet or whether they're, I mean, they have like wives and families and they're looking for discreet sexual encounters with other guys. They identify as straight, but they're looking for guys. Okay. That's how he found his research sub- subjects and he interviewed them for an hour and a half each about their sexual habits, lives, and their senses of identity. All were from rural areas of Missouri, Illinois, Oregon, Washington, or Idaho, places known for their, quote, social conservatism and predominantly white populations. Wait, conservatism isn't the C word, is it? No, that's okay. another one. That's though. a terrible <laughs> word. I mean, that is so, you might as well be swearing. Like, right What about left. cuck? That's not it either, because we said that on the different no, but show. Would these, would these guys qualify as cucks? No, no, they wouldn't, because they're the one. I mean, we talked about the definition of cuck ah, at length. Well, you know, I'm reminded. This season. I'm reminded of uh, of a an old um, comedy sketch where a guy, a stand up comedian, was saying, "It's like, it's like I can't believe that people make fun of like homosexual men or guys that that fuck other men." It's like, do you understand? They're fucking men. Like, right? You're a What's man more doing manly than men. that? What, right? You know, how manly do you have to be? So <laughs> maybe that's what this is all about. Maybe, maybe this is like is. this is that the, like the testosterone is just so high mm-hmm. that they're like, no, you know what? A woman just no woman too. cannot. No woman could handle me. Yeah, I need. A man to take it in the ass. That's right. Maybe that's what's going on. All right. Well, and that doesn't necessarily happen. They could just be doing blowjobs. Sure. Right. Yeah. No. I, I, Not I, all gay I, men do do butt sex. No, you're right. That's a great point. Or men who have sex with men. Excuse me. Yes. So anyway, um, the sample skewed a bit on the older side with 14 out of the 19 men in their 50s or older, and most identified exclusively or mostly as straight, with a few responses along the lines of straight, but bye. But more straight. <laughs> I love that answer. Since this is a qualitative rather than a quantitative study, it's important to recognize that the particular men recruited by Silva weren't necessarily representative of, well, anything. They were just the guys who agreed to participate in an academic research project after they saw an ad for it on Craigslist. But the point of Silva's project was less to draw any sweeping conclusions about either the subset of straight MSM or the population as a whole than to listen to their stories and compare them to the narratives uncovered by Ward and various other researchers. So he's just... He's just doing a study. He's not trying to draw conclusions about anybody or demographics or anything like that. This is just, hey, there's some interesting guys. Let's interview them and see what they say. I mean, this is effectively anecdotal, right? Anecdotal. Totally. Yep. Okay. Which is kind of disappointing. I mean, like, it would be probably, as a scientist, I would like it more if he took a bigger sample and he tried to make it, like, demographically representative and maybe did had, like, a hypothesis in there or something like that. But he's not doing that type of study. He's just writing okay. about it with his commentary. So anyway, specifically, Sil- Silva was trying to understand better the interplay between, quote, normative rural masculinity, the set of mores and norms that defines what it means to be a rural man, and these men's sexual encounters. So how do they square that away, mm-hmm. right? How do, how do they be in this role of like a rural heterosexual masculine man and still fuck guys <laughs> how do they do it and uh in in doing so they say he introduces a really interesting and catchy concept which he terms bud sex <laughs> not butt sex no bud, bud sex, sex like your buds <laughs> okay 
Ward, the book by the professor of gender studies, Ward, 2015, examines dude sex, a type of male-male sex that white masculine straight men in urban or military contexts frame as a way to bond and build masculinity with other similar, quote, bros. Carrillo and Hoffman, 2016, refer to their primarily urban participants as heteroflexible, given that they were exclusively or primarily attracted to women. While the participants in the study share overlap with these groups, they're also, they also frame their same-sex sex in subtly different ways, not as an opportunity to bond with urban bros, but only and only sometimes, but not always, as a novel sexual pursuit, given that they had sexual attractions all across the spectrum. Instead, as Silva, forthcoming, explores, the participants reinforce their straightness through unconventional interpretations of same-sex sex as, quote, helping a buddy out relieving, quote, urges, acting on sexual desires for men without sexual attractions to them. What? <laughs> acting on sexual desires for men without sexual attractions to them? Okay. Relieving general general sexual needs. I just need to get off. <laughs> and or a way to act out sexual attractions. And or a way to act on sexual attractions. Okay. So this is how they rationalize it. Well, I'm just helping a friend out. Or I'm just relieving my urges. Or I'm just, you know, taking care of my general sexual needs. I'm shocked. I mean, is this like, are they drinking some special juice boxes? Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't know, from seem, Alex Jones? It doesn't seem to make sense. I mean, they're doing the very thing that defines you as not heterosexual, but they still identify as heterosexual. I mean, and that's fine. I mean, I, you can identify however you want, and maybe they are heterosexual, right? Maybe it's totally valid for them to identify as, as straight or mostly straight and every once in a while fuck a guy or well, have does, sex with a guy. Doesn't this fall under like sapiosexual or pansexual then? Like doesn't that kind of raise that? I don't know. They're not saying they're attracted to the guy's mind and they're not saying they're attracted to people of other genders besides male or female, which would be more like pansexual. Oh, so, so pansexual means beyond two genders. Yeah, that potentially oh, attracted to people. So that's how it's different from bisexual. Okay. That's right. Yes. Okay, gotcha. I we talked I about that before. No, I don't, I, I don't think that was made explicitly, you know, very, very clear. But anyway, okay, let, let's keep going. Okay, so bud sex captures these interpretations as well as how the participants had how the participants had sex and with whom they partnered. The specific type of sex the participants had with other men, bud sex, cemented their rural masculinity and heterosexuality and distinguishes them from other MSM. So it actually made them feel more manly, like you were saying. Brian, what's more manly than having <laughs> sex with a dude? <laughs> the idea of homosexual sex cementing heterosexuality and traditional rural masculinity certainly feels counterintuitive, but it clicks a little more once you read some of the specific findings from Sylvia interviews. The most important thing to keep in mind here is that rural masculinity is, quote, central to the men's self-understanding. So they, they really identify with, like, being a rural man. Quoting another researcher, Silva notes that it guides their thoughts, tastes, and practices. It provides them with their fundamental sense of self. It structures how they understand the world around them, and it influences how they codify sameness and difference. As with just about all straight MSM, there's a tension at work. How can these men do what they're doing without it threatening parts of their identity that they feel are vital to who they are? In some of the subcultures Ward studied, straight MSM were able to reinterpret homosexual identity as actually strengthening their heterosexual identities. So it was with Silva's subjects as well. They found ways to cast their homosexual liaisons as reaffirming their rural masculinity. 
One way they did so was by seeking out partners who were similar to them. This is a key element of bud sex. Are you paying attention, Brian? I'm paying attention. Taking notes? This is a key element of bud sex, right, Silver? Silva? Partnering with other men similarly privileged on several intersecting axes, gender, race, and sexual identity, allowed the participants to normalize and authenticate their sexual experiences as normatively masculine. So in other words, if you, a straight guy from the country, once in a while have sex with other straight guys from the country, it doesn't threaten your straight rural identity as much as it would if you instead, for example, traveled to the nearest major metro area and tried to pick up dudes at a gay bar. You're not the sort of man who would go to a gay bar. You're not gay. What do you think of that? I, I don't agree <laughs> like that that's, that that's what's going on, but that's okay. Keep, keep rolling. You don't agree that that's what's happening with the men? Yeah, I don't think that that's what's – like that – that somehow their their rural masculinity isn't being threatened, and so that's why they're okay with having sex with other men? Well, he's saying that they are able to rationalize this and integrate it into their identity because they're seeking out partners who are like themselves. So, But if they were to have sex with someone who is different, who they perceived as different from themselves, then it would threaten their masculinity. Yeah, I don't buy it because, I mean, then they're just bisexuals, right? Like that's, I, I don't know, it... I'm curious what more they have to say. Okay. It's difficult here not to slip into the old middle school joke of it's not gay if dot, dot, dot. It's not gay if your eyes are closed or if the lights are off or if you're best friends. Or if you're saying Slayer. Yeah. (laughs) But that's actually what the men in Silva's study did in a sense. Uh, Here's a quote from the study. As Kane, one of the interview subjects said, I'm really not drawn to what I would consider effeminate faggot types. So I'm... I'm straight. I don't like faggots, but I like guys, right? <laughs> but he does, quote, like the masculine-looking guy who is maybe more bi. <laughs> Similarly, Matt, 60, explained, if they're too flamboyant, they just turn me off. And Jack noted, femininity in a man is a turnoff. Ryan, 60, explained, I'm not comfortable around femmes, and masculinity is what attracts me, while David shared that femme guys don't do anything for me at all. In fact, I really don't care for them. John shared, I don't like the flame and queers. <laughs> <laughs> wow. The, the rationalization is so amazing. Mike, 50, similarly said, I don't want the effeminate ones. I want the manly guys. If I wanted someone that acts girlish, I got a wife at home. <laughs> Jeff, 38, prefers masculinity because, quote, I guess I perceive men who are feminine want to hang out, have companionship, and make it last two or three hours. He just wants to get to the fucking, it sounds like. (laughs) (laughs) In other words, it's not gay if the guy you're having sex with doesn't seem gay at all. (laughs) Or consider the preferences of Marcus, another one of Silva's interview subjects. He said, a guy that I would consider more like me that gets blowjobs, you know, that gets blowjobs from guys every once in a while, but doesn't do it every day. I mean, if you do it every day, it's totally gay, but <laughs> if only once in a while, it's, it makes you straight. I know that there are a lot of guys out there that are like me. They're manly guys and they're doing manly stuff and they just happen to have oral sex with men every once in a while, chuckles. <laughs> so that's kind of why I prefer those types of guys. It also seems that more masculine guys wouldn't harass me. Oh, here, now we're getting to something interesting. I guess hound me all the time. Send me a thousand emails, you know? Hey, you want to get together today? Hey, what about now? And there's a thought in my head about a more feminine or gay guy would want me to come around more. Straight guys, I think, identify with them more because that's like kind of how I feel myself. And bi guys the same way. We can talk about women. There have been times when we've watched heterosexual porn before we got started. (laughs) 
or whatever. And I kind of prefer that. And because I'm not attracted, it's very off-putting when somebody acts gay. And I feel like a lot of gay guys kind of put off that gay vibe, I'll call it. I guess that's very off-putting to me. So he wants this charade where they pretend they're both straight, completely straight, and mm-hmm. they and he doesn't want any hint of femininity or fagginess because then he thinks the guy's going to want him to come over and spend non-sexual time with him or something like that and fall in love with him. He doesn't want the love. He just wants the sex. Okay. This is, of course, similar to the w- way that many straight men – this is now the back to the article – this is, of course, similar to the way that many straight men talk about women. It's nice to have them around, and it's, of course, great to have sex with them, but they're so clingy. <laughs> Overall, it's just more fun to hang out with masculine guys who share your straight guy preferences and vocabulary. They're less emotionally demanding. One way to interpret this is as defensiveness, of course. These men aren't actually straight, but identify that way for a number of reasons, including, quote, internalized heterosexism, participation in other other sex marriage and child rearing, which could be complicated if they came out as bi or gay, and enjoyment of straight privilege and culture, writes Silva. After Jane Ward's book came out last year, Rich Jewswiak laid out a critique in Gawker that I also saw many of the responses to my Q&A with her. Well, Ward sidestepped the question of her subject's, quote, actual sexual orientations, quote, I am not concerned with whether the men I describe in this book are really straight or gay, she wrote, it should matter. So the critique of this book by the gender studies professor, the professor was like, well, it doesn't really matter what they really are, you know, what their real orientation is. People criticized it and said, well, it should matter what their orientation is. As Jewswiak put it, given the cultural incentives that remain for a straight-seeming guy, given the long road to self-acceptance that makes many feel incapable of or feel fearful of honestly answering questions about identity, which would undoubtedly alter the often vague data that provide the basis for Ward's arguments, it seems that one should care about the wide canyon between what men claim they are and what they actually are. In other words, Ward sidestepped an important political and rights minefield by taking her subject's claims about their sexuality more or less at face value. There are certainly some good reasons for sociologists and others to not examine individuals' claims about their identities too critically, but still, Jizwiak's critique is important, and it looms large in the background of one particular segment of Silva's paper. Actually, it turned out some of Silva's subjects weren't really all that opposed to a certain level of deeper connection with their bud sex buds, at least when it came to their, quote, regulars, or the men they hooked up with habitually. (laughs) And now here's another quote from the research paper. While relationships with regulars were free of romance and deep emotional ties, they were not necessarily devoid of feelings. Participants enjoyed regulars for multiple reasons, convenience, comfort, sexual compatibility, or even friendship. Pat described a typical meeting with his regular. We talk for an hour or so over coffee, and then we'll go get to a blowjob and then part our ways. (laughs) Similarly, Richard noted, sex is a very small part of our relationship. It's more like friends. We discuss politics, all sorts of shit. (laughs) (laughs) Likewise, with several of his regulars, Billy noted, I go on road trips, drink beer, go down to the city to look at chicks, go out and eat, shoot pool. I got one friend I go hiking with. It normally leads to sex, but we go out and do activities other than that when we meet and suck. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) so most of them, it sounds like, are doing blowjobs, not butts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. While Kevin noted that his regular relationship, quote, has no emotional connection at all, it also had a friendship-like quality, as evidenced by occasional visits and sleepovers despite almost 100 miles of distance. Oh. Similarly, David noted, if my wife's gone for the weekend, I'll go to his place and spend a night or two with him. We obviously do things other than sex, so yeah, we go to dinner, go out, go shopping, stuff like that. Oh, 
that's getting a little gay going shopping together. <laughs> Jack explained that with his regular we connect Jack explained that with his regular quote, we connected on Craigslist and became good friends in addition to having sex. We just made a connection, but there was no love at all. Thus, bud sex is predicated on rejecting romantic attachment and deep emotional ties, but not all emotion. Whatever else is going on here, clearly these men are getting some companionship out of these relationships. It isn't just about sex if you make a point of getting coffee, and especially if you spend the night together, go shopping or go out to dinner and so on. But there are sturdy incentives in place for them not to take that step of identifying or identifying fully as gay or bi. Instead, they frame their bud sex, even when it's accompanied by other forms of intimacy, in a way that reinforces their rural straight masculinity. It's important to note that this isn't some rational decision where the men sit down, list the pros and cons, and say, well, I guess coming out just won't maximize my happiness and well-being. It's more subtle than that. It's more subtle than that, given the osmosis-like way we all absorb social norms and mores. In all likelihood, when Silva's subjects say they're straight, they mean it. That's how they feel. But it's hard not to get the sense that maybe some of them would be happier or would have made different life decisions if they had had access to a different, less constricted vocabulary to describe what they want and who they are. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how much like I agree with, with a lot of what they were saying there. Like, I mean, I, I don't doubt that this is happening. That's not what I'm saying. I what part do you with. disagree with? Well, uh, just a lot of the reasoning and, and what's going on, you know, around them. Like, somehow they, they can't really define what's happening for them. I mean, I think that's true for a lot of people, certainly, that, that people I was can't gonna really say, define. I was going to say, I think women do this, too. Sure. I think there are women out there who identify as straight. Like, I'm thinking of one woman in particular. I, w- I remember going to, like, a, a festival Okay. I was talking to this woman. We were hanging out all week. All week, she's talking about how guys and how straight she is. Oh, yeah, I'm straight. I dropped the bi bomb. I said I was bi. She's mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, I'm totally straight. I really love guys so much. Then we're making out <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> suddenly yeah. later that week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think women do this too. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, okay, so what I think is, is there's something that they want. There is a certain type of sexuality, certain type of interaction, certain type of fantasy or whatever that they want to live out. Okay. They don't feel that they can do it necessarily with women or that it won't match up whatever is going on at home. I don't know. Uh, and so, you know, they get with the guy to, to do it, but like, that's not, it feels like they were really like overcomplicating what exactly was going down, you know, with it. And, and I think there's something else too, you know, there's, there's this class, there's this idea in the classical world as in, in the ancient world, uh, not, not necessarily the classical, but, uh, it was popular in Greece, popular in Rome. It was called a gogi, and it was unfortunately kind of a state sponsored education. But one of the kind of central tenets of a gogi was, you know, love with like the, the people you were training with and women got taught in one area and men got taught in the other and the men. And it was all homosexual. Well, they, they'd end up starting to love each other. And like, and the teachers thought that it was just like, yeah, do that because then you have this, this deeper appreciation and understanding of each other. You have a more of a closeness and, but ironically, and here's the thing, and maybe that this is what's going on. This is part of it because what that actually created was a conformity. And I mean, I think conformity is a bad thing. But, but that, that's, that's sort of what occurred. And maybe there is in doing this, there is a norm, and maybe this is the same. Maybe I'm splitting hairs, but I think it's different. I think maybe what's happening here is there's a normalization of their lifestyle that they get to kind of engage in by, you know, getting this on with, with other guys. Um, 
you know, and, and, and all of that, because that was definitely the purpose of like a gogi. And it was very popular. Like popular to validate, oh yeah, we both do this so we can both still be straight and have sex with well, each other the, and like have our val- cake and eat it too. More than that, just to validate their entire life, like their their entire lifestyle, to validate their choices, to validate all these things, you know, like. So are these guys straight and does it matter? Uh, I don't, I don't know how I want to run with those terms. I mean, I, like, I don't, I, I guess I could see where certainly, and you could look at cases historically where, you know, a lot of people were obviously married, had fantastic marriages and all this, but they still engaged in a gogi. I mean, you know, like, like that was still a part of the program. Uh, does that mean that they were really bi? Maybe. I, I don't know. <laughs> like, it just, like, it seems like there's, there's a lot of twisting and turning, you know, kind of going on here with, oh, what exactly, what does all this mean? What is this? And, and as to where I, it might be a lot simpler. You know, there's just a lot of validation and, and a lot of just, you know, fantasy fulfillment, uh, just, just, just happening. Maybe that's what they were trying to say. I, I didn't feel like that that's what they were saying. So my personal opinion on that question I just asked you, are they straight and does it matter is, I don't think they're completely straight. Mm-hmm. I don't think they can right, rightly call themselves completely straight. I'm not going to question. I'm not going to be the sexual orientation police and say like, "Hey, you, you better accurately this. identify yeah. yourself." You know, well, the I don't Kinsey really... scale has degrees, right? I mean, it's like one through six or zero through six. Sure, but I think I don't know. Straight to me has a meaning of like absolutely not. You would never do anything. You're not even hetero. When there's words like heteroflexible and homoflexible, yeah, like you know, don't call yourself straight. Call yourself heteroflexible if you're like maybe ten percent you know, would be interested in other, yeah. in same sex. But the only th- reason it would matter to me is if it was like a person I was wanting to date. Like I think as an LGBT person, I would much rather date someone who was, uh, who had thought, who had self-awareness, self-awareness. about who they were <laughs> and yeah. was okay with it. And yeah, I'm, I'm queer. I'm not completely straight and that's okay. And I know exactly what I am. I'm not confused about it. And I'm not in denial about it. I, that's much more appealing to me and a potential partner. But I guess they're not looking for gay partners. They're looking for other straight partners who are just as confused as they are. So I'm glad they're having fun. <laughs> me too. I think um, I think they're having lots of fun. And yeah. I'm glad. <laughs> and I think it's really funny. Bud sex. I mean, what a great concept. <laughs> so hey, anyway, we're in the break now. <laughs> um, so hey, since we're doing an all-listener email show, that article was sent to me through a personal contact. But if you don't have my personal contact info, you can get in touch with us through the contact form on our website, which is sexandsciencehour.com. Just click on the contact link and you can send us an anonymous email. Uh, you can put your email address if you want to reply, but it's not required. Or you can email us directly at show at sexandsciencehour.com. And uh, that was all I wanted to say about that, but we have a little more time. So, um, Brian, why don't you tell us what happened with your podcast this week, Sovereign well, Tech? I, I got a very nice mention for my podcast, Sovereign Tech, on No Agenda. Just Whoa, one of the that's biggest, a big deal. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the biggest podcasts on the planet. So that was uh, that was really great. But if you want to check it out, of course, go to sovrintech.com. It's sovereigntech.com. Come and believe me, you're going to have a good time. Yeah, he comes out with a new podcast every Saturday. So you get Friday Sex and Science Hour, Saturday Sovereign Tech. All right, so we're on to our next listener email. We uh, we finished up, we wrapped up the bud sex, we rounded it out. (laughs) Our next listener email for our special tonight, for our C-word special, I I titled it Bike Fatigue Problems. (laughs) And this came to us through our contact form on our website. So this person says, question for you if you're interested. Premise, I've been car-free since April 1st. Part of, and 
we're recording this on December 23rd. So, <laughs> so it's been what about uh, eight months? Yeah. Since he's car free. Uh, okay. So I've been car free since April 1st. Part of a binary bet my brother and I do annually. He's got a year with no air conditioning living in Florida and already power, uh, powers me $100 for failing. Already pa- powers me $100 for failing? You meant to say O's. Maybe O's. Okay. All right. So uh, he's got a bet for he, – he had a bet with his brother. He lost the bet, so he had to give up his car. And his brother lost his air conditioning. It sounds like you both lost, but I don't know. I don't understand this bet. But anyway, that's probably besides the point. (laughs) So the uh, person who writes in says, I'm in Wisconsin. I can bike in the snow. I have snow chains on my mountain bike that I can take on and off in under 10 minutes when the roads are real bad. Otherwise, I ride in an older internal gear uh, three-speed to handle winter abuses. From the spring until a couple of weeks ago, I averaged about 150 miles a week, and this was my primary form of exercise. Between this and some diet changes, eating a full meal at lunchtime and a salad for dinner, I've lost almost 100 pounds. Right on. Wow. Just want to say congratulations. That's a huge deal and a huge accomplishment. Absolutely. And I'm sure you're, you're, the way you feel is probably its own reward, <laughs> having lost that much weight. I'm still overweight, he says, 5'11", 270 pounds, but obviously I feel much better. Yeah. The last couple weeks, I ride my bike only when I need to go to only where I need to go. It's too cold for distance or recreation. And I have been going to the gym about an hour on weights. I switched to muscle zones and to allow for recovery. Sorry, this is the way this is written is a little bit disjointed. So um, so he's saying the last couple weeks, I've been riding my bike. It's winter in Wisconsin, remember, so it's very snowy, but he's got the tire chains on his bike. Um, but I only ride my bike where I need to go. It's too cold to do much distance or recreation on the bike. He's been going to the gym. He uses a different, uh, you know, works out a different muscle group every day on the weights, um, switching to allow the muscles to recover. Um, he says, in my younger days, I followed Joe Wider's ultimate bodybuilding. Joe Weider, yeah. Joe, are you familiar with that? Yeah, he's, I mean, like uh, Muscle and Fitness, uh, Flex Magazine, I mean, the Olympia, he's, Joe Eater's one of the original, he's he's dead now, but he's like one of the original bodybuilding uh, promoters. Oh, like, wow. He made Arnold what he is. Uh, yeah, Joe Weider's a big, big deal. Wow, cool. Yeah, so what, the, like, is, the, what is ultimate bodybuilding in a nutshell? What is his principles of training? Do you know? Oh, I'm, I'm not sure that he has any in particular. I mean, he, oh. again, he... You know, this is the same guy that made Muscle and Fitness Magazine and Flex Magazine. Oh. So they have to come up with new things every month. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, definitely a guy that's been on the cusp of, like, any new ideas. He's he was really on board. Right. Okay. So he says he does weightlifting for about a uh, half hour, I guess, and then a half hour on the treadmill and then 20 minutes in the sauna. He says, I've added a can of tuna dry about an hour before working out, but my problem is I'm exhausted. I'm not burning more calories than before. I increased my protein for building muscle mass. Do you have any ideas? My doctor says I'm healthy as a horse, excellent blood pressure and lab work. My only meds, medical conditions include PTSD and a traumatic brain injury in the string, in the spring that is still incapacitating, sorry, impacting my skills. Although the last month or two, I'm seeing some improvement. So maybe there is a light at the end of the tunnel. I hope so. Uh, then the issue issue will be whether to go back into an engineering job or pursue a nonprofit bike bike related charity. I've designed a lattice framed carbon fiber bike that I'm hoping to get 3D printed. Side project, not the charity. Okay, 
rambling. Your thoughts are appreciated. So basically, he's feeling fatigued, and mm-hmm. he's given us all this background about why. So um, this is not medical advice, uh, but my opinion is that um, I can see why you're fatigued. You've been on a significant weight loss trajectory for a while, obviously, because you've lost 100 pounds over the last year. Your body is essentially eating itself. And no matter how much tuna you eat, you're going to be eating some of your muscle. Your organs have to adjust, you know, because all of your blood vessels and all of your uh, your abdominal organs are supporting a different body than they were a year ago. Sure. There's 100 pounds less of you. So, you know, shit has to restructure itself. And also, you're not maybe the youngest guy. It, that All that stuff takes a little longer as we get older. And on top of all that, it's cold. So you're going to be burning some extra calories just to stay warm. And also your thyroid might not be quite adjusted to that, you know, that level of body fat yet, because having lost a significant amount of weight, you now have less insulation. So it may take a while for your thyroid to get the the thermostat of your body right so that you're not feeling cold all the time. And so, yeah, like he was saying, he he, he has been feeling cold and fatigued mm-hmm. a lot. And I mean, I think I can see why. So one other thing that you mentioned was PTSD. And with PTSD, that can be uh, extremely stressful on your body because you, you know, you may be having nightmares, you may be waking up and having interrupted sleep, you may be having a lot of anxiety. You know, it sounds like you're seeing a doctor for that, which is great, but it can still, you know, if you have any symptoms at all, it can still take a real toll on your body to be consciously in a state of hyper awareness, right? One of the symptoms of PTSD is this thing called hypervigilance, which means you're always sort of on edge, like always expecting to sort of be attacked or to have that trauma repeated. So over time, that can really stress out your adrenal glands. You're making a lot of cortisol, which is the stress hormone, a lot of adrenaline whenever you get an adrenaline dump, whenever you get triggered and something you know brings up your a flashback or trauma or you have a nightmare. Your adrenals are pumping out uh, all these hormones that are supposed to help your body deal with stress, except there's no actual threat in that moment. It's just the PTSD. So over time, your your adrenal glands can get really burned out. And you should look into, I would say, adrenal fatigue. Adrenal fatigue is this idea that basically over long periods of chronic stress, your adrenal glands can get fatigued or kind of just burned out. And the way to cure it is basically rest, no strenuous exercise like biking long or going to the gym every day. You know, your Mm. body may actually need a break. What I'm saying is, to me, it sounds like you're doing kind of a lot of exercise. You're going to the gym every day. You're riding your bike in the cold, which takes a lot of energy to stay warm, uh, especially having lost that 100 pounds of insulation. And, you know, that is a significant amount of exercise. And on top of that, you may be sort of spinning your wheels from having anxiety and having um, uh, chronic stress from the PTSD. So your body really might need a, ch- a chance to just take a break. When people have adrenal fatigue or when they feel just this, this sense of being fatigued all the time or burned out, sometimes you really just need a period of, of intense rest. So, you know, you could do yoga for exercise, um, for movement, but, you know, maybe skip the weights for a little while or maybe skip the cardio, especially for a little while, because that causes a lot of stress. Um, you know, we always hear that it's good to exercise and it is good to exercise, but it it always depends, right? It depends on who you are. So for some people, strenuous exercise may not be the best thing for them and they may need a couple of months or 
maybe up to three or six months of taking taking it easy in the gym and doing just lower impact activities like maybe walking or yoga instead of weightlifting and biking. So that's my two cents. You may want to look into adrenal fatigue. Some doctors don't believe it's real. I don't know about your doctor, what kind of doctor you're seeing, but some doctors are like, oh, psh, adrenal fatigue, that's like fibromyalgia. It's not real. Well, I, I think there's, you know, there's at least a lot of, <laughs> a lot of people's lived experiences are saying that it's real, right? And they're saying that they got better by resting and taking it easy and understanding that they're, um, that their adrenal glands, which make your stress hormones that are uh, being supposedly made to help your body deal with stress, are burned out and fatigued, and they're not getting that help dealing with stress that they need. So um, yeah, uh, there's some great videos on YouTube. You can get yourself a free education on YouTube, and maybe it'll help you out. Yeah, yeah, right on. I don't have anything to add on that. I, nothing to add? Okay. No, yeah, nothing. Well, <laughs> I, what about I, the 3D printing a carbon fiber bike? I, oh, mean, I think that's, that's a brilliant that's idea. That's cool. I yeah, love that I, I idea. I think that's fantastic. Uh, you know, any and that kind of entrepreneurship is just wonderful and, and really needed. You know, I'd love to see somebody enter the, the bike space with, uh, I don't know, that sort of thing. I, 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 the whole, wonderful. So, right on. Yeah. I mean, uh, I will say that I've, I've had periods where I thought I suffered from adrenal fatigue and I took off from the gym. Mm. You know, I, I started doing yoga for exercise, but you know, really nothing strenuous. And that was hard for me because at the time, you know, I sort of had this belief that, well, yoga doesn't really count as exercise. It's not really exercise if you're not like working up a sweat and like working as hard as you possibly can. Right. And that's not true. There's lots of different forms of exercise flexibility and balance are just as important as cardiovascular stamina, you know, and sure. it's, it all sort of comes together to create an over, overall picture of fitness. And sometimes what your body needs and what your body's telling you, if you feel fatigued, is that you need an extended period of rest. You're overtrained. So listen to your body. That's what I have to say. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you have any thoughts or if you think I missed something, feel free to email us. Um, show at sexandsciencehour.com is our email address. And also you can uh, contact us through the contact page on our website, which is sexandsciencehour.com. And I actually need to be better about up <laughs> updating our web website. We always release our shows on the podcast feed as soon as they come out on Fridays, but yeah. I don't always post, post them on our blog sometimes until it's too late, <laughs> like a couple weeks later. So I need to be better about that. That's my new year's resolution. <laughs> <laughs> all right. When we come back, Fanny wanks a lot. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I mean, doesn't that sound like a great preview of what's yeah. to come? You gotta hear it. And we're in the sex segment too, so we're coming up. This is Sex and Science Hour. Brian, uh, what are we gonna promote this time? Well, I think we should, uh, we're gonna promote stuff.sexandsciencehour.com in the after show, but uh, should we promote listening to our past shows? We have like a sure, couple of years worth of, of shows yeah. up there on sexandsciencehour.com, also on our SoundCloud page. You can tell a friend, you can follow us on Twitter, uh, make sure you never miss when we uh, share a show, follow us on SoundCloud, and uh, we really appreciate it when you share our show with your friends. Yeah, I mean, and definitely a lot of, I know we've got a lot of new listeners on board, uh, and that's that's always great to see. So yeah, share it around. It's just one of the easy things you can do. I mean, like there's two ways to really help the show. There's stuff at Sex and Science Hour, or stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. Doesn't cost you a thing. Sharing the show 
doesn't really cost you a thing. So that, that really helps out and gets more people on board with the, the sex and science hour extravaganza. <laughs> you can also invite us to your party. We talked about this last week, but we oh, are yeah. available to perform at live events. So show at sexandsciencehour.com if you're interested in that, if you're an event organizer. And Wait, now back to the show. What is performing? What is performing? <laughs> it means whatever you want it to be. <laughs> no, it means doing a, a live podcast, interviewing people at your at your party, and uh, generally just being there and being fun, causing a ruckus. Well, if somebody named Fanny Wanks a lot asked us to perform, I, I don't yeah. know. We're going to go to Fanny Fest here? <laughs> so we got an email from Fanny Wanks a lot. This is from the contact form on our website. <laughs> Um, Fanny says, hey guys, love the show. So I watch porn online, but I go to the usual sites, Pornhub, RedTube, Uporn. I think they might be installing malware and I want to get some privacy for my personal personal pleasure. Any suggestions on where I could get a bunch of good porn for free or for a small cost and not get spied on and infected? Well, yeah. First of all, Fanny, thanks for the question. I'm going to hand that over to Brian because he's sort of the resident tech expert. Yeah, I mean, and you know, I, I have a ton of experience watching porn. Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> not really. You actually are not a huge porn consumer. I would yeah, say. Yeah, not a, not a big fan. Uh, which might, some might seem odd because a lot of my family's well. Anyway, uh, so yeah, uh, what to do about that? Now, really, what's going on there? I think is. You know, there's not a great solution as far as like, oh, just go to this website and everything will be fine. Uh, or yeah, free porn always ha- you have to pay the cost somehow, right? So malware is usually the cost that you get for. Yeah, it. there's not there's not really a website that, that like I said that that caters to that sort of thing, in my opinion. Uh, maybe a listener would know better, but as far as I know, there isn't. So really, what I think you just want to do is you want to install an ad blocker to stop that malware from getting to you, uh, and. The best one to get, it's called U-Block Origin. Now, it's just the letter U-Block Origin. And they have it for Firefox. They have it for Microsoft Edge. They have it for uh, Chrome, of course. They don't have it for Safari. Um, but get get if you get that, it's, it's a great ad blocker. And that will actually probably solve a lot of your problems. And then you could still go to Pornhub. You can go to RedTube. You can go to all those different sites. And, uh, and you won't run into an issue. Now, the thing is, is what you may be thinking is, well, hey, could I go torrent some porn? You know, could I just download it and watch it that way? Now, if you really want to do that, first off, you're going to want to do the same thing again. Install an ad blocker right out of the gate. Because, you know, if you go to Worldwide Torrents or if you go to, um, if you go to the Pirate Bay or something like that, they have, they have some pretty crazy ads on, on, you know, on their sites that could be just as problematic as, say, the ones on the porn sites. Um, but if you're going to do that, and I'm not saying that I, I recommend that, you know, there may be legal issues or something. But if you're going to do that, what I will tell you is that you want to make sure you're using VLC player, VLC media player to watch porn. Because sometimes you'll download, like sometimes it'll be a WMV or it'll be like a Matruska file or something. And when you do that, they can be loaded with well, there could be problems where you could get malware. There can be malware bundled with it when you open the file. Uh, it gets installed on your computer. Something to that effect. And so if you use VLC Media Player, it's sandboxed. And mm. so all you'll get is like you won't see the video. But then that's how you'll know, okay, no, this video is a problem. This is not actually a video or whatever. Now, uh, getting back to um, uBlock Origin, which was the plugin you recommended for mm-hmm. Firefox, another reason that's good is because you can watch YouTube videos without seeing the ads on those, yeah, like non porn ones. Too. Yep. And, and that's very valuable. And also um, with, uh, what's it called, Ustream? 
when you're just watching, like, for example, we were on the School Sucks podcast a little while ago last week, and uh, we streamed that show live through Ustream. But uh, some of the people were saying every 10 minutes, they would get a, an ad pop up that would interrupt our broadcast. And so we said, put on uBlock Origin, <laughs> and then you can skip that. Yeah, exactly. So really, the ad blocker is the thing you want to do. And look, don't feel bad. I, want, I just want to make this very clear. Do not feel bad about the fact that that, that say, Pornhub or RedTube, or, and a lot of them are the same company, that they're not getting ad impressions and making money off of it. Look, your first your your first and foremost job as a quote unquote citizen of the internet is to secure your shit. Okay. I don't and, think and, Fanny feels bad about that, but well, yeah, just if, saying, if you're listening and you feel bad, yeah, listen to Brian. <laughs> yeah, j- just saying, do not feel bad. Let them figure out how they're going to make money off of what they're doing. Your first job is to make sure your stuff's secure, and an ad blocker is is just like one of the first things you can do to secure your online uh, experience, and it helps you from getting all that malware on those porn sites. So there you go. Right on. So I I like that question. Happy wanking, and thank you for your <laughs> thank you for your input. <laughs> uh, Cognitive dissident sent us this one. That was a cute name too. Um, so we don't we don't read people's names if they put their name on their email if it's like a serious name, but if it's like an obvious fake name like Fanny wanks a lot or cognitive dissonant dissonant <laughs> <laughs> dissident. <laughs> Sorry, not dissonant dissident. Um, then we'll read it. So cognitive dissident. Um, this is a, an article from PC Mag. Gatebox virtual home robot wants you to be her master <laughs> by Matthew Humphreys. We're a few years away from virt- physical home robots becoming a reality, but that doesn't mean we can't have a virtual robot automating our homes and forming a companion of sorts. Gatebox aims to fill that role by offering a virtual home robot in the form of a projected 3D character living inside of a glass tube. So she's in a prison. Okay. The gate box is a projection tube within which a character is projected who can partake in conversations and be hooked up to your home network in order to automate certain tasks, such as turning the lights on or off or demanding that your robot vacuum cleans the floor. This introductory video explains how it works. This sounds like total product placement. (laughs) (laughs) If you haven't guessed already, gate box is a Japanese creation with the character taking on an anime look. Her name is Azuma Hikari, and she even has her own website. She's also classified as the quote first character with a distinct personality two voices hobbies likes and dislikes and even a dream what's her dream so it seems likely gatebox will gain the option of more characters to interact with in the future interaction is done through voice chat in person with the camera mounted at the top of the tube oh that's creepy so azuma is always able to look at the person she's conversing with (laughs) when away from home an ios or android gatebox app can be used to continue chatting with azuma or get her to do things in time for your return yeah, and it's priced at two thousand ninety no two hundred ninety eight thousand yen, which is yeah, roughly twenty six hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was gonna say about three. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, an English language version is in the works, but the price to get one shipped over rises to about three thousand, including shipping. It's easy to view this as creepy, they say, especially when Azuma holds up a sign on her website that says, Master Now Wanted. Oh, my <laughs> God. That's so Japanese animation. Yes. Uh, however, an in- increasing number of people live alone. And if the gatebox could offer some companionship and help around the house, hey, it could provide both useful and a valuable point of action interaction for people who are otherwise secluded. What do you think about this, Brian? Okay. So that that's a little like the headline's a little 
sensational because it's yeah. not really asking for like a sexual master. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked right. if they ever programmed that in, but that's but kind that, of the there hint is that kind of a getting. connotation of that, right? Sure, yeah. sure. Oh yeah, I mean, like, like it's sure it's kind of implicit. I mm-hmm. think, uh, you know, in 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 hinting at that, because like what. I mean, how many hentais are there where they're like, oh, master, I want you to be my master. Yeah. Like, and that I, only means one thing. <laughs> right. And and I think there there could be a very, like, as far as why that be, is a thing in Japan, like I could kind of guess, you have to understand is that home life in Japan is incredibly matriarchal to where like the, you know, women handle finances. Mm. I mean, they, they hand, or at least traditionally, they handle all these different aspects. Like really... The guys, in many ways, aren't in charge. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> and I know some American guys would say, well, I'm not in charge in America either. The, okay. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, so, so like I could kind of see where this would be interesting and there's an attraction to it. And maybe that's why sex robots overall are such a thing in Japan, because mm-hmm. there is not the ability to kind of, you know, for, for perhaps a guy to be a commanding presence in right. a room per se. Uh, or it's because of the overall politeness of Japanese culture that, you know, you know there, there's maybe an appreciation for something not so polite, like what happens, uh, you know, in, in bullet trains and all this different mm, stuff. The groping, or, you mean. The groping, right. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I so, think it's interesting. I don't, you know, honestly, like I get What it. about connecting it to the internet of shit? Well, that sucks. Like, yeah. I mean, you know, that that's shitty. I Like, I agree with that, that on, on that end of things. I mean, what could go wrong, right? You have this app controlling your Roomba and your lights and your refrigerator and your smart thermostat and all that. What could possibly go wrong? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, on that end, it's a terrible idea. Yeah. You know, from I, a security perspective and from a just from a things working perspective. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, like, but really, this is no different than the Amazon Echo. This is no different than, than a lot, you know, Google Home and all this different stuff. It just happens to have like a little character that you get to interact with, which personally, I, I think is for what it is, is fine. Like, I, I don't, I don't see this as being so, like, I don't think it's inherently degrading. Is, is my point, okay? Because if this is inherently degrading... It's not much more degrading than Siri is, to be honest. Sure, right. But I'm just... Yeah, if this is degrading, watching any anime is degrading. And I think that that's a ridiculous statement to make. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, there, of course, there's tons of problems. And yeah, could this be an insidious way of making you fall in love with IoT? Oh, yeah. And that's creepy. Like, I don't want any part of that, you know? Yeah, you just <laughs> need to give IoT like a sexy face and a body and then people will love it. Sure, right. Yeah, I mean, and this... And, and I, Security be damned. Interestingly, I wouldn't be surprised if Microsoft's a little bit behind this because you have the character of Cortana from the Halo series, oh, yeah. which is where they named what they named their virtual assistant after that being Cortana. And if you could make like a little, this is effectively how Cortana appears in the video game mm. to the character, uh, you know, to the main Halo character, Master Chief. And so, like, I could imagine that if I was Microsoft, I would release this in America right away mm. and, you know, and blow away the echo and all that by creating this really visual interface that you can interact with. So I'm of two minds. I hate the IoT aspects, but on the other side, it's kind of cool, mm. you know? Yeah. Not that I wanted to call me master. I really don't. But Now, can you think of a single male uh, AI virtual assistant? I can't. I got Siri, Alexa, Well, Siri, Cortana. you can change the voice. Oh, you can change to, it to, to male. male okay, cool. I don't Does know anyone can... use the male? Uh, doubtful. I don't know, because why? Like, yeah, right. <laughs> even, if, even if I were a woman, I'd want it to be a woman, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, <laughs> so, Well, why would you want it to be a woman, though? Like, I think I read an article about this once, why or, or maybe I have it in the show prep somewhere. But it was basically like, 
you know, essentially people think of one of these things like your secretary and they like, oh, a secretary, that's supposed to be a woman. Yeah, I, I could see that. But then at the other on the other end of that, I there is a degree of evolutionary biology studied that says that like the low tones of a male voice that actually if you're especially if you're tired or something that you won't hear it like like mm. that the, there's certain there's certain frequencies like say of the male voice that that you know women don't hear or men don't hear or something and uh so you know having a woman say it you instantly pay attention and like especially if it's an assistant say like a driving assistant of some kind and you don't need to be falling asleep at the wheel or asleep at whatever you happen to be doing mm. um you know having a woman say it would be would be very helpful there's that funny episode of uh, the big bang theory even though i hate that show where they walked around Penny's house and they talked in very low tones so that they wouldn't wake her up. Oh. So like that that's kind of the 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 expression of that idea. Interesting. Yeah. I was thinking of the uh, Snoop Dogg GPS skin that you could get. <laughs> I love that thing. Yeah. I guess that's the only time I'd want a man giving me directions. If it's Snoop Dogg, it's okay. Yeah, I remember with my Garmin. Oh, Snoop Lion. Excuse yeah. Me. <laughs> I remember with like like Garmin had this was years ago before you know really GPS on phones was a thing mm-hmm. where Garmin you could you could down you could buy and download Darth Vader oh you know, wow or Yoda how and, could you understand it well the thing it, it honestly it got super annoying like yeah. it, it stopped being cool after it was a like while. a novelty thing yeah yeah and and I and I instantly switched it back to the British woman and I was just like you know no this is this is a little more like it you know all right ready to end off with a bang. Because I got to yeah. use our last, oh. our last listener email, and then we go into the after shows. So that'll be really right. the bang. That'll be like the c word, uh, year end send off. <laughs> what was the c word again? I can't tell you. Oh, I thought that's I why we had say c word. I thought I had you. All right. <laughs> so, uh, ready for this, Brian? This is also from our contact form. Um, I was wondering your thoughts on vaccinations as far as effect. <sighs> effectiveness risk and whether or not to expose kids is better i don't have any kids i don't have any dogs in this fight just curious follow-up it's a common question but if vaccines work why would the unvaccinated people pose any risk to them even if infected i know nothing is 100 percent, but the panic seems exaggerated yikes yikes yeah what a can of worms this one is so um (laughs) yeah i don't i don't have any kids i don't have a dog in the fight either i did receive childhood vaccinations and i think I can't believe I'm about to say this, but I think, quote, I turned out fine. (laughs) I didn't suffer any like major neurological damage as far as I could tell Uh or anything. Um, As an adult, however, who has some background in in medicine, and of course, this is not medical advice. It's just us talking about opinions on a question. Um, There are vaccines that I choose not that I could get that I choose not to get like the flu shot. Um, I've looked into it and doesn't seem particularly effective. Also, if I get the flu, it's not going to kill me. I might be laid up for two weeks and that would be really annoying, but it's likely not going to kill me. Um, so I could probably survive it. HPV. Yeah, that one is, is another one that's, I don't like how Merck got really political with like pushing the governor of Texas to like mandate that their vaccine get pushed on all these kids, these like 11 year old kids in the government schools. Um, that really squicks me out. Um, that, that vaccine too has like some higher incidences of fainting and passing out, uh, than even other vaccines do. And it's like, you know, 
by the time I was able to get it anyway, it was almost like a moot point because it was I was probably at the age where I would have been exposed to like HPV anyway, and it wouldn't have been as effective. So I, those are like some examples of vaccines I chose not to get. Some examples of vaccines that I got, uh, like the meningitis vaccine when I went to college. I mean, that's really deadly and bad. And like, it can kill you very fast if you don't catch it. And it's also more likely that if you're living in close quarters with a lot of other people, like in a dorm room, you might be exposed to it. And so, you know, I got it. I, I didn't really have a choice. Like I had to get it to go to college. So got it. Didn't really bother me too much. I will say, you know, a lot of the reactions from vaccines are not fun. I can see why people don't want to get them and especially don't want to get forced to get them. Um, on the other hand, like it is kind of a technology that can save you from getting a disease that's much worse than like the shitty like feeling for a couple of days of after you get a vaccine. So the short, the long answer <laughs> to a short question is, um, I don't really know. I don't have kids, so I have not had to be, be forced to look into the childhood vaccine issue too much. But adult vaccines that I have looked into for myself, a lot of them I do sort of forego. <laughs> um, and to answer your question about if vaccines work, why would the unvaccinated people um, pose any risk to those who get vaccines? It is because vaccines are not 100% effective. They're trying to get this thing called herd immunity, which is a terrible term because people hear it and they think, oh, they think we're sheeple. You know, they're calling us sheeple. Yeah. It's a herd. Well, it's, it's a bad term for a real phenomenon, which is like if enough people in a population have immunity to some germ, the germ is not really going to be able to take hold in that population and spread and turn into an epidemic. It's just there has to be some kind of critical mass of, of people in order to, for that to happen, for the whole population to kind of gain some level of protection. So it's it's more a question of that. Um, also, vaccines, yeah, they can be differently effective for different people. So um, some people get vaccines, and then 20 years later, they still have antibodies to that thing that they were vaccinated against. Some people get vaccines and they don't have any antibodies later on in life and they need a booster to get protection again. Um, some vaccines do nothing for some people, um, especially if their immune system doesn't work or is dysfunctional in some way. Vaccines are not going to work. So, um, yeah, it, they, they are not 100%. It's a little more complicated than just, okay, you get this shot and you're protected for the rest of your life 100%. Sure. So, yeah, what do, what do you think, Brian? Well, I mean, obviously, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not laying out any, or I'm not a medical doctor of any kind. So, I'm not. You're an a, internet doctor of divinity for yes, 30 bucks. I am a doctor of divinity, <laughs> <laughs> which will actually lead to an interesting point. Um, but, you know, just making clear, I'm not laying out any kind of medical, uh, you know, information or, you know, suggestions. Uh, but, yeah, you know, the, the argument for everybody getting vaccinated, like, it really smacks to me of Catholicism. It just sounds like. Look, if we don't baptize your baby, it's going to hell. And it's and it's like, what? no, like that, that's horseshit. Now, granted, we're talking about science compared to you know nonsense, you know, compared to supernaturalism uh, and superstition. But yeah, I, I mean, I, like the first thing I want to say is that look, it's you know the the very basis of freedom, which one would argue is a uh, a human need, so it's part of the human condition, uh, you know, for the human condition to thrive is choice. And you've got to have that choice. Yeah, like, like, I agree. Choice is really important. Regardless of whether vaccines save the planet, save the human species or whatever, choice, you know, without choice, it's all moot. It's all, it's all, not, it's mm -hmm. all crap. 
Don't uh, forget, there have been some really shitty vaccines that have killed people, like the swine flu vaccine right. in the 1970s, disabled and killed people. So not all vaccine, like, I think it's okay to, to be, to feel a little bit, like, not 100% trusting of the government when they're like, yeah, or, or just the medical establishment doctors when they're like, oh, trust us, let us stick this thing in your arm. Everything's going to be fine. Well, historically, that was not necessarily always the case. I mean, yeah, polio was eradicated, like that vaccine was working. Some yeah. people say polio was like on the way out anyway when the vaccine was developed. Yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah. And then, you know, the, I mean, then that's kind of the claim that comes up is that, well, things are coming back and it's because people aren't getting vaccinated and all this. And well, I mean, herd immunity is all well and good. And I, I can understand like the kind of feeling of like, well, everybody else had to do this. Why do you think you're special and you shouldn't have to? You know sure. what I mean? But the thing is... Yes, as Brian said, choice is paramount to our our humanity. It's like a basic human rights and dignity thing. You should be able to make choices about your medical decisions and what you put in your body. And, you know, when we start policing choice people's choices like that, it becomes a very bad scene, even if you disagree with them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and, and, you know, to add on more to this, I mean, a lot of people will talk about that. Well, you know, look, look what happens. I mean, there's stories where in a city because... You know, because somebody didn't epidemic. get vaccinated, there's there's some kind of epidemic. Or in school, your poor child, which I don't have any children either. Okay, granted, but but you know, it, look, if they're you know they're going to school and because some of them chose not to, like they didn't get the mandatory vaccinations or whatever, um, that everybody in the school gets sick. Well, I mean, my question to that is, what are what's the actual problem? Is the problem the disease, or is the problem school in the city? Like, like, is the problem like these living conditions or these, you know, these conditions that, that, that kids, like that they're all talk about a herd, you know, that they're all <laughs> yeah, kind of stuck piled in. piled on top of Yeah. I mean, like, like, where's the actual issue here? And so, look, you know, the solution to everything is education. Okay. You know, humans have to have the ability to choose. I am not saying that I think vaccines are some kind of conspiracy against humanity or something. I am not saying that they're harmful. I'm just saying that there's some, you know, maybe there's some other conditions that need to be looked at other than, you know, creating effectively a surveillance or police state that says everybody must get vaccinated, you know, yeah. educate people. And, you know, if you're if the evidence stacks up very nicely, then hopefully as people learn, and they better, would sell they'll, themselves. They'll want to get vaccinated. Exactly. Right? Yeah. It, that's Persuasion, exactly not force. Yeah. Yeah. I can and, see how doctor or people are tempted like, oh, I shouldn't have to explain this. I should just be able to force people to do it. But no, you do have to explain it and convince people when you're talking about a personal decision, like as invasive as sticking a needle in your body or your kid's body. Right. And if the problem, the reason why people don't get vaccinated is because, oh, well, they're just too dumb to know different. Well, then guess what? The problem's not vaccines. The problem's stupidity. And you're going to have to figure out how to solve that. Okay. <laughs> um, That'll never be solved. Well, this there is you Sex go. and Science Hour. After show's coming up if you're new guests now. Thanks for joining us. Oh, and happy You've just C-word. heard Sex and Science Hour. Game over. Play again next week.
Well... Alright, if you don't want to say anything, say I, I think since it's the after show, we can reveal what the C word is. How about we turn it into the X word? Yeah, because it's Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> That's the C word that we've been joking about this whole time. <laughs> Love it. So, happy Christmas. And, uh, yeah, that was kind of fun to, to yeah, play, yeah. play that little game yeah, throughout the show and then get to say lots of other C words that yes. are not Christmas. We got to go down the George Carlin list a bit. Yeah, we sure did. <laughs> so, anyway, since it is Christmas, um, leading up to this day or this week, um, people have been doing a lot of Christmas shopping. and A lot of shopping. Fortunately, they have been using our uh, link at stuff.sexandsciencehour.com, which takes you to Amazon US and uh, gives us a little cut uh, for our affiliate program, which is how we fund the show. And I feel very blessed because we just had our best week ever in the history of Sex and Science Hour uh, that we've been doing this uh, this link. So thank you so much to everybody who used our shopping link. This is a great market signal for us to keep on doing the show and that you're digging it and that you're listening. So thank you very much. And I like how we, um, I don't know if anybody else likes it. I think they do because we get listens. Um, I'm talking about doing our after show, talking about what people bought. But I think we're, you know, I think yeah. that's working out pretty well. I haven't we're heard any complaints. Continue doing that. Yeah, no, haven't heard any complaints, right? Who's going to complain about getting more content? And, well, and, you, we, and it's different every week. We try to jazz it up and we make new stuff. So anyway. Let's get to the jazz. Yeah, let's get to the jazz. Uh, not the jazz cabbage as we did a few weeks ago. But <laughs> <laughs> Brian, we got an email explaining one of our past purchases. You ready for this? Ooh, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, this was cool. I always love when people write in and defend or explain their purchases because usually when we speculate we're totally wildly wrong but uh he said i'm the guy who bought the alienware alpha the logitech controller and the air mouse remote from the last after show and we were we were wondering if those are all connected so that's cool to know um he says i bought it all as a christmas present for my 11 year old son we had the same setup at my house but his less techie moms had he had no sorry at his less techie moms he had no access to his games on steam I figured if he had the same setup, he could troubleshoot most problems on his own and save his mom the frustration, thus me the frustration as well. (laughs) The TV-style remote works as a mouse controller and basic keyboard, as well as volume and such. His Steam account gives him access to all the same games on this machine without repurchasing them. And I'm going over to put um, Cody Media Center on there so he can access my media server over SFTP and watch all of his shows and movies on her TV. Oh, you gotta love that. That's a great... What a dad. That's a really cool idea. Cody's great software. Awesome. (laughs) Oh, so what is that? Like, it makes a server for, like, media files or something? It can be. But Cody is pretty much... uh, This is... Cody's, like, the new version, if I'm not mistaken, of XMBC, which is just, like, this great media, like, interface. Or it can even almost be, like, an entire OS itself uh, that, that plays all your different... Whatever kind of, you know, digital media you want to play, music, movies, all that stuff. See, this is what happens when your dad is tech savvy. Yeah. I love it. Shit, it's cool. <laughs> My dad used to do some stuff like this for sure. me, but this was like back in the 90s, so they didn't nearly have this kind of technology. But oh, yeah, yeah. He would give me his little air modem and let me connect to the internet and stuff and help <laughs> me with all that stuff. It was well, very, very cool. I remember it fondly. <laughs> yeah, like my dad's hobby was actually repairing arcade games. And so in the 80s and early 90s, like... I just the garage would be full of arcade games and I'd be oh, rocking them cool. all the time. Oh, it was the best. That's super cool. Yeah, Stargate Defender, Wizards of War. I mean, just awesome. Oh. 
So he continues, this model of the Alpha was discontinued because Alienware came out with a new one for this season, but it's $200 more with only moderate improvements. The Alpha runs Windows, not SteamOS, which allows for more game options and desktop apps, most notably ROM emulators. I'm a Linux enthusiast, but many game developers have not yet jumped on the Linux platform. Just a pro tip in case anyone else is shopping for a living room console. The whole setup was under $400, which is about what most consoles run for, and the specs are comparable to the latest Xbox and PlayStation. If you want to read this on the show, don't worry about ruining the Christmas surprise. <laughs> I have at least adequate parenting. <laughs> you said the C word. Yeah. Oh, naughty, naughty. <laughs> or actually, he said it. <laughs> <laughs> I have at least adequate parenting skills, so he does not hear this show unless there's specific content I think he should listen to. That's probably a good thing. Love the show and glad to help support it. The coolest dad in the world. <laughs> he didn't sign it that way. Yeah. I put that in. <laughs> well, you know, I want to comment quick on the whole Linux thing, you know, and putting Windows on it. Like there was a scare uh, about a couple of years ago where, and this is what these whole machines came out of. And when when we first read it on the after show, I had mentioned it, that Steam OS, which is kind of the version of Linux that Steam started supporting. I feel like they've totally, first off, like this, this computer was kind of on, the, on a discontinued list effectively. Obviously, it's still a great machine, you know, look at what, mm, what this person's mm-hmm. doing with it. Um, but yeah, it really feels like that. So the the reason that the reason that Valve came out with SteamOS is because they were concerned that Windows 10 was really like uh, 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 bunkering down effectively or hunkering down, which word to use there, on like your ability to play third party games or even software. And so you know Valve wasn't sure what the future looked like for Steam as a platform on Windows, mm-hmm. and so they started making their own OS. Thing is, is I think with Windows 10 largely now, you know they've they've backpedaled like as far as any of those like major concerns that people were having like i mean the the real problem really wasn't even windows 10 it was windows 8 because that windows 8 was a mess and yeah. so you know valve didn't want to deal with it okay because, because it wasn't pc centric enough you know for that and for gaming in general and i think that's true uh so anyway so i think i'm not shocked that this is kind of discontinued and i think it was the right choice to put windows on there and and just you know just real quick look if if you're a gamer windows is the operating system of the day yeah that's I mean, what it, it seems like i'm not really a gamer but that's my observation yeah and i tell this to people all the time look if you want privacy and all that stuff but you you're still a gamer here's the thing you buy two machines in fact you buy this cheap one you know for 400 bucks please put windows on it don't do, don't log in with anything don't do any of that shit just put windows on that machine and then for where you do all your real business have a linux machine you know, that's that's the way to go about it. So I think this is all the right moves, and I, I love reading this kind of stuff. Super cool. Well, thank you so much. So what do people get on stuff.sexandsciencehour.com this week, Brian? Well, let's start with the movies department, as we always do. Somebody rented The Magnificent Seven from Amazon Instant Video. I haven't seen this yet, but I, I look forward to... I've never seen to, it either. Yeah, I mean, I, obviously, I've seen the classic, and of course, I've seen Seven Samurai and all that, but, uh, but I'm looking forward to catching this. I know it's got... Uh, you know Denzel and Chris Pratt, and I mean just a, a you know with a nice small little lineup with a small town under the deadly control of industrialist Bartholomew Bogue Sarsgaard, the desperate townspeople seek protection from seven outlaws, Washington Pratt Hawk, as they prepare the town for the violent showdown. The seven mercenaries find themselves fighting for more than money. Yeah, I mean this is a western based off of really what was originally a. Um, you know, a Japanese story oh, about cool. samurai. So, oh. 
you know, like a lot of things, you know, comes out of Japan. Right on. Well, um, that that little robot who wants you to be her master came out of Japan. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, it came out of Japan, but it has Denzel Washington in it. No, no, and no, no. Like the movie the didn't come out of Japan. Just oh. the original like story is a samurai instead of cowboys. Oh, yeah. they ch- they westernized it. They westernized it. They whitewashed it. it. The, yeah, well, <laughs> Denzel's not exactly well anyway. Well, they westernwashed it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> In the car department, we got BDK front and back pro liner heavy duty rubber floor mats for auto. It's awesome. a three piece set. So this is like you know those big rubber mats you put on the bottom of your car to catch the snow in the winter, and you need that shit now because it's winter in some parts of the country and yep. uh you're tracking snow and mud into your car so there you go somebody got also in the car department um <laughs> the car department the automotive department <laughs> <laughs> um i like to make things simple folks somebody got the b tool home 110 volt uh portable air compressor so this is this is really handy i actually carry one of these in my car everywhere i go mm-hmm. as well it's basically a little tire pump that you can a, a, a um not like a hand tire pump, but like a electric tire pump that you can plug, you can power through the car through the cigarette lighter adapter, and then you can pump up your tires anytime they need air without having to go to a gas station and pay 25 cents or whatever. Yeah, this is nice because it can do uh, home AC as well. So that's that's mm. fantastic. Yeah, and it has a tire pressure gauge too. So you know like how much you're inflating it yep. to. And yeah, it's just, it's a Very it's 23 handy. bucks and it's like, if if you use it once, it pays for itself. I mean, yes, it's totally absolutely. worth it to be able to have air whenever you need it. So I totally recommend having one of those and keeping it in your car. Um, that's just my two cents. Now, you're going to love these next couple of products, Brian. Um, in the beauty department, we had um, – there's a product called Duke, Duke Cannon Big Ass Brick of Soap. I've never heard of this. <laughs> And this person got four different flavors or four different scents of Duke Cannon big ass bricks of soap. There's <laughs> here are the fragrances: smells like productivity, smells like naval supremacy, <laughs> smells like victory, and smells like accomplishment. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> and here's the here's the uh, package. It's kind of an unassuming assuming package. I was almost kind of picturing like a little U-boat that you could like stick in between your butt cheeks or <laughs> oh, something, God. but it's not. It's just uh, <laughs> it's just a just a brick of soap, but it's a big ass brick of soap. And each one of those was like ten bucks. Now, how big is it? Let's see how big it is. It's ten ounces. It's three times bigger than feminine soaps. <laughs> <laughs> That's their description. It says not for clowns. At ten ounces, our soap bar is bigger than fe- three times bigger than feminine soaps. <laughs> I might have to try this. Steel cut grains for max grippability. Oh god! Support our troops. A portion of the proceeds benefit U.S. veterans. All right, never mind. I'm not going to try this. <laughs> <laughs> well, with a name like "Smells Like Naval Supremacy." <laughs> I mean, in what what does that mean, right? Like when they say this supports our troops, like that's a feel good phrase. But like, what does that mean? Does it mean like they're giving counseling to yeah, them yeah, to yeah. never no, enlist because that could there. be, you know, <laughs> or like I mean, support like you're a veteran, Brian. You've been yes. in the military. Now you disagree with the military, and you're glad you got out of it. You don't have this lingering patriotism. But I'm sure there are lots of veterans out there like you who feel like disillusioned by the military and and have given up on this idea of nationalism. Sure. And they, you know, maybe they need some support too. Sure. Absolutely. Things. 
Sure. So anyway, that's Duke Cannon, uh, big ass bricks of soap in the beauty department. I love, I love that it was beauty and it's such a masculine thing. Maybe this is, this is like they're prepping for bud sex there with those soaps. <laughs> they're so masculine. Um, in the books department, we had Catalyst, a Star Wars Rogue One novel. Oh, that's good. Yeah. You listened to the audiobook of that, didn't you? I did. Uh, it's really, in my opinion, required reading for if you go to see Rogue One. I mean, you don't have to. But the movie's way better if you have that, uh, you know, if you, if you have that in your repertoire when you go in. Right uh, on. So, so definitely, definitely. A, and it's a good book. I mean, for, as far as Star Wars goes, it's actually a very good book. So <laughs> aside from the Star Wars books, book, that was the one, the lone Star Wars book, the yeah. lone wolf in our section, um, we have a very interesting other spate of books. It looks like someone is either going to law school or is is like studying up to pro se represent themselves because okay. <laughs> <laughs> there was a bunch of legal books that got purchased huh. one was called civil procedure sixth edition examples and explanations so oh this is like how a civil court is conducted i guess okay constitutional law national power and federalism someone's educating themselves about law yeah i mean that's i like if i was a if I was one of those people who was like, oh, yeah, you don't need a driver's license because the UCC says that you're operating a naval vessel and therefore cops can't make you pay excise taxes or, or mm-hmm. stop you for driving without a license, I would get those books. Sure. <laughs> well, maybe that's something along those lines is going down. Understanding Civil Procedure 3rd Edition by Gene Shreve and Peter Raven Hansen, also a uh, legal book. And these are like... They're not the, they don't look like maybe the newest legal books. These are like kind of 10, like a few editions back from 10 years ago. So that mm. means they're super cheap. You can be had for less than 10 bucks and you can get a legal education for like less than 10 bucks a book. That's sure. A, that's a great deal. Um, I mean, and they really don't change that much. You know, it's the same thing with medical textbooks, really. If you really want to read about it, you can. Um, you can educate yourself about anything. So I think that's cool. And then the final one is Understanding Torts 2007 by John Diamond. Now, that's the one where it makes me think somebody is looking to get their own little homebrew legal education. Yeah, for about sure. Torts. torts. Think, that's, yeah. a lo- that's something that, well, the L word people talk about. Yeah. <laughs> Libertarians. <laughs> right. The L word. Yeah, not yeah. lesbians. <laughs> and then mixed in with there with all those legal books, a form of violent communication, you could say. <laughs> a form of vi- Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. The is law the books book, are. Is the book Nonviolent Communication by Marshall Rosenberg. <laughs> Now, this is interesting. This is the third edition. I didn't know there was a third edition. Yeah, I guess it must be new. It's got a foreword by Deepak Chopra. Whoa. That's interesting. I'm going to have to get my hands on I'm not sure if I like that, actually. (laughs) The jackal in me is saying, Deepak Chopra, he's like not in touch with reality. Yeah. What's he doing right in the foreword? I'm going to have to check that out now. Marshall Rosenberg, of course, uh, has passed away. Um, Was that last year or a couple years ago? 2015. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's 2015. Yeah, Marshall Rosenberg unfortunately passed away, but um, he did uh, he did write this book and founded the idea of nonviolent communication, which is basically trying to connect with people and relate to them on the basis of we, we're all human beings and we all have like sort of universal human needs. And all feelings come from needs being met or needs not being met. And you can always relate to someone no matter what, because we all are humans and we all have these basic needs. So you can talk to people in that way. So that's like the basic idea. And um, I've known about NVC nonviolent communication for, I would say, I guess, like maybe six years now. 
Yeah, that sounds about right. Because I yeah. think I've known about it for five and I learned about it from you. So Right on. Yeah. I used to have an online practice group that we would meet and uh, talk about NVC and like practice it with each other and do role plays on Google Hangouts. That was really fun and cool. Um, and yeah, now I think I've, you know, obviously like everything else, it's not perfect. There's a few things that maybe are, like you take and leave, but I think it's been an enriching experience for my life to learn about it. Yeah. So, oh, absolutely. I'm, I was more than happy and you know, it's useful. I mean, it, it's really something to, to integrate. Yeah. I mean, you gotta be like seeing Deepak Chopra talking about it. Yeah. That's where I worry. There's this I'm, one. I'm curious to read that now. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll be real quick. There's one little angle to NVC that mm -hmm. is concerning. And the association with like woo woo kind of. Yeah. It's what they call, what is it? The, the divine benevolent energy. Marshall or, the, or the benevolent yeah. divine energy. I think that's what they call it. Marshall Rosenberg talked about that. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I know I don't hear many of the NVC practitioners I know of ever talk about that, but it was something that Marshall Rosenberg kind of mentioned. Yeah. So he there is this spiritualism about him. Right. And you can use NVC and you can learn about NVC without integrating that kind of woo woo mm -hmm. aspect of it and, and do it all the way. And it's beautiful. Yep. Uh, but like, I kind of worry that's why Deepak has got, you know, is sort of involved is because he's yeah. like, oh yeah, yeah, no, this is that nice new agey kind of spiritualism, which it doesn't have to be again. There, Yeah, it doesn't have to be. But I mean, that is one of the criticisms that a lot of people say about NVC is that it, it can be like, it can have almost a, like a, I don't want to say another C word, but cultish appearance because some people get really, really into it. And the way that they talk to someone who yeah. has never heard of NBC before might sound very jargony and weird. And also, you know, they get like deeply into it. And some people live in like NBC intentional communities where they all practice NBC yeah. and there's, there, there are those things out there. Um, also there's like kind of not like a formal association, but a lot of people who are interested in NVC also tend to be interested in kind of like new age spiritual stuff. Mm -hmm. I think that's fair to say. Um, and so that can turn some people off. But if, you know, if you're concerned about those things, just don't, you know, don't be a new age spiritual person. You know, yeah. you can still, there's still some great ideas within nonviolent communication that you can take and use to, you know, just like everything in life, like, the mark of an educated mind is being able to understand an or entertain an idea without necessarily agreeing with it. And you can always pull elements that you like from things. It's almost like the, you know, like the book buffet. Like you pick the things you like and you leave the things you don't like. And then you become a smarter and more educated and well-rounded person. Absolutely. That's what I think anyway. <laughs> so cool. I'm, I'm kind of curious – if the person who bought that book wants to write in and tell us what you thought about Deepak Chopra's foreword, I'm kind of curious about that. Yeah, or NVC in general. Or just who you are who bought that book, because yep. it's cool to like know another person who's into NVC, I guess, as well. <laughs> so thank you for that. And thank you for the for the uh, aspiring law student who wrote read all these books about <laughs> civil procedure and constitutional law and understanding torts. That's pretty cool, too. Uh, and it reminded me that you can you can really get into education about anything for very very cheap. Yes, you could you could take out those books from the library and and probably do it for free. So there you go. Um, in the cell phones department, we had a a power bank, uh, uh, <laughs> ten thousand milliamp external battery with triple USB port charger. So this is just one of those batteries. Yeah, very ten, very powerful. Ten dollar nice. battery. Yeah, very nice. Um, in the clothing and accessories department, we had uh, a cosplay cloak, an orange flannel cloak. He, Himotu 
Umari Chan anime cosplay. Yeah. Now, now Chan means something, right? Uh, yeah, that that gets used it's generally like a term for term of endearment, or uh, well, instead of like like San, uh huh, for like a guy, Chan can get used for a woman. I mean, there's oh. a, there's a bunch of different uses for it. So this is like a little orange, kind of looks like a mouse hoodie. Like it has like a little, it's a cloak, but it has like a hood that you can pull up, and it has a mouse kind of embroidered on the top with mouse ears. And mm-hmm. it's it's cute. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it looks really soft. And they're showing like a little girl wearing it and I guess cosplaying. I don't know who she's cosplaying as, but. Yeah, cool. Yeah. And holding up a little plushie that kind of looks like the orange cloak that she's wearing. So we we had a lot of cosplay stuff. Yeah, nothing wrong it's with like, that. It's like it's not Halloween. It's it's Christmas. But <laughs> hey, nothing wrong with that. Um, In the computers department. We had a USB hub with individual power switches. It's made by Sabrent. It's a four-port USB hub. And uh, this is one of the best. This is like the number one best-selling USB hub on Amazon. Nice. And I guess you can turn each hub on or each little port on and off. Yeah, fantastic. It, it, it almost, has little buttons on it. It's good. Yeah, it almost looks like one of those headphone splitters where it has four headphone jacks and you can turn each one up and down the volume. Right. But it's not exactly like that. Um, and we also have a... Uh, five-port gigabit Ethernet uh, switch. Nice. So this is like a desktop thing that you can plug five Ethernet ports into. Mm-hmm. Yep, what would that handy. be? What would that be used for? Oh, you could use it like a hub. I mean, there's a few different purposes you can like use it for. Like if you're connecting to, a bunch of different computers locally. Yeah, to split them up, mm-hmm. or yeah, to do a local area network. I mean, there's a few things I think you could do with that. That's cool. Very cool. In the electronics department, we've got a Belkin uh, six outlet power strip surge protector with two foot power cord, two pack. Nice. So yeah, now you got 12 outlets and you're all set for power for only $11. That's a good deal. Um, In the gift card department, we got an Amazon gift card for $150 and the theme is Falalala Llamas. <laughs> <laughs> and it has llamas with like Christmas scarves tied around Th- their necks. This seems to be a thing this Christmas is <laughs> llamas. I don't understand it at all. Like I've seen a few really? different people like change their profile pictures to llamas for Christmas specifically. I, I don't get what's going on there. But Should we play the video here? I, I didn't. Uh... Oh my God, it's playing. It... Yeah. <laughs> And it's a little llama singing. I don't know if you all can hear that, but it's llamas literally singing. Yeah. yeah, I don't get it. Maybe this is just like the, the, the funny polar bear Coca-Cola I thing. think it's really cute. And this is like it emails the person that you're sending it to. Hmm. And, and it emails them the video of the singing llamas. Well, <laughs> Super cute. Uh, okay. In the shoes department, we got some Crocs, which I know are very popular shoes uh, for oh, like healthcare workers because you can rinse them off. Yeah, these have like um, have these have like a liner with like fleece on the inside. That nice. looks very comfy. Nice. Um, and Crocs are great because they're waterproof. They're like made out of rubber, so they're super easy to clean. Um, these were in the color ballerina pink with an oatmeal colored lining. Mm-hmm. So they're like pink. I mean, I guess they look like women's or, well, actually, sorry, I'm never going to assume gender again because one time somebody bought like a pink iPhone case and it was a man. And I totally said, I was like, oh my God, that's so cute. Girl, I, show me your pink iPhone case. And it was totally <laughs> a man. <laughs> I, I love the color pink. It's and he a, called me out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love pink too, but I'm not going to assume gender. So any whoever you are, these are unisex Crocs. So it could be anybody. And uh, now, I, how much did they pay for these? I have a pair of Crocs. They're awesome. I've had them for almost 10 years. Actually, I have two pairs of Crocs that I've had for like almost 10 years. So these things last. 
So they're good, good quality. They paid twelve oh seven for those Crocs. Oh, nice. So really not bad. Very cheap addition to your holiday shoe collection. <laughs> oh, oh I think we got a sex toy. <laughs> Somebody got the magic in the in the health and personal care department. We got a original HV two sixty magic wand. The two thousand thirteen model. Mm-hmm. This is the Hitachi Magic Wand. Now this is a um, thinly veiled vibrator. It was one of the the original ones that started being sold. Like it, it was appearing in these mail order catalogs in the nineteen seventies, and it would say "Oh, personal massager," and it would have a woman like holding it to her back or shoulder and making this very relieved face, almost like an <laughs> orgasm face. A little too relieved. Um, <laughs> when obviously, if you read between the lines, it's a vibrator. <laughs> and if you were in the know, you knew that, but it's disguised as a personal dis- massager discreetly. Now, these things, I will say, are very powerful. They are, they're powerful enough that you could use it as a back massager, which is not something you can say for all uh, vibrators. But if you like very strong clitoral stimulation, ladies, you can use one of these. They're great if you coat it in lube and sort of rub it all over yourself. Also, if it's too powerful for you, you can put your underwear or a towel between you and the magic wand, and you can have at it that way, and it sort of dampens the vibrations. So just a little tip for your magic wand lovers out there. There's even, like, I know they sell, there's there's a whole, like, aftermarket, uh, you know, kind of kind of mar- business that, or, you know, just aftermarket that exists for the Hitachi magic wand. Like, mm-hmm. you can buy adapters that... Uh, that will effectively turn down the amount of power going to the Hitachi Magic Wand. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of mods for it. Yeah, like aftermarket of kind of parts. There's yep. attachments to like a G-Spot attachment and other stuff like that. So thank you for buying your sex toys through stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. This Absolutely. has been a PSA of the Sex and Science Hour department. <laughs> <laughs> Batteries not included. Sold separately. <laughs> Some assembly required. <laughs> um in the uh, cosmetics department, we had these little eyedropper jars. There's like an amber glass vial for like, for kind of for blending like perfume oils together, I guess. Mm-hmm. And um, it has like a little eyedropper with like a rubber bulb, the squeeze bulb that you can drop out the oil in once you mix it. But it's like for making your own blends. Now, I have a funny story about this. I made the grievous error of using one of these exact same bottles and filling it with lube for a trip, a camping trip I went on where I thought I was going to get lucky. And <laughs> what happened was the lube was wet platinum, which we've talked about on the show before. And this is a silicon-based lube that totally ate through the rubber, like it dissolved the rubber, <laughs> and it leaked out all over my bag of toiletries and bathroom stuff. And I was like, oh, shit, this leaked all over the place. All my hairbrushes, all my toothbrush, my everything was like slick was with lube. Covered in sex lube. It was horrible and disgusting. So I threw away the bottle because obviously it was useless. And then somebody like comes out later, like walking around the campground and was like, um, I found this bottle of like essential oil in the bathroom. Did anybody lose that? Did anybody leave it in there? I'm like, oh, it wasn't me. Um, <laughs> so that's my lube story. Kids, don't put silicon-based lube in a in one of these dropper bottles with a rubber handle. I was thinking I was so smart. I was going to be able to drop it like from a little eyedropper. It'd be so dainty, but yeah. my plan was completely fucked. Not to be... <laughs> And I didn't get lucky. <laughs> uh, in the books department, we have uh, another book in the culture series. Consider Phlebas. A oh, this cult- is the first one. Oh, first book. 
Yeah, so either... I think somebody bought this book before, but maybe they bought it again because they heard it talked about on the show. Or maybe someone else bought it, yeah. Oh, maybe somebody else bought yeah. it, yep. There so... is an audiobook version as well. It's got 462 uh, customer reviews by Ian M. Banks, of course, author. Very cool. Yeah, Culture Series is just a great... I've talked about it in previous Sex and Science Hours. It's just one of the best science fiction series ever. Right on. Um, this is a very interesting item. In... In the uh, the kitchen and dining department, somebody got a wine cellar cooling unit. It's called the Whisper Cool Slimline Twenty Five Hundred Wine Cellar Cooling Unit. I'm st- I'm not sure if this is like basically kind of an air conditioner for your entire wine cellar, or if this is like a cabinet that you put the wines in to chill them. But this was a high price point, and we got a very nice uh, commission from this and helping make it our best week ever for Sex and Science Hour. So whoever bought this, thank you so, so much. This is awesome. And uh, I hope you enjoy it. I hope it cools your wine to your heart's content. Yeah. What, what do you think this is, Brian? Can you enlighten me? Like, by looking at it, you can't no, really it, tell. Well, it looks it, like a box. Yeah, it's, it's, it's effectively an air conditioning unit. I mean, okay. designed for, gotcha. you know, keeping a, a certain cellar, perhaps, or something along those lines at, at a very particular condition, uh, you know. Uh, right on. Yeah, at a, a particular temperature. Temperature control. Yeah, it's getting very, very late. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about That's that. That's okay. Not that late. <laughs> and we're almost done, sweetie. That's okay. Um, okay, so in the tools department now, we've got some other kind of uh, high-ticket items, I guess, if you will. The Alleman full-set electric soldering iron kit with 60-watt adjustable temperature soldering iron So and solder wire, desoldering pump, tweezers. It's like everything you need to do soldering. That is a beautiful solder kit. I love it. Very cool. Yeah, that was only 30 bucks too. So so what is that for, for sticking pieces of metal together, basically? Yeah, we're doing board work. I mean, board know, work. All, mm-hmm. all kinds of different things you could do for that. We have a mixing board that you said you had to solder a new power supply to. Like uh, it's not just a new ago. power supply. I mean, like the power supply has to be repaired with new new capacitors. Oh, um, got it. Okay. So, That's yeah. why it's taking so long. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, it just you don't want to stink up the whole house with soldering. It's, yeah. yeah, that's true. We got to wait till the summer so we can do it outside or something. Yeah. Um, we had the Milwaukee uh 270422 M18 fuel half-inch hammer drill driver kit. Very nice. How is this different than a regular drill? How is it? Well, I mean, like, it's high-powered. I like the side handle on it. Right. So it's a drill, and it's got this, like, almost like a bicycle handlebar coming off the side of it. So Mm -hmm. you can drive the drill in, like, not holding it from from the handle of the drill, but also with this other handle. So that looks like it would really improve your control. Very cool. Um, we also got the Milwaukee M18 fuel quarter inch hex imp driver tool only. So this doesn't have the handle, the bicycle handlebar attached to it, but it's well, like, it's also not a, like a, it's not really a drill. Like the driver is just, you hook up, you know, say like a screwdriver or a flathead or, oh. you know, whatever, like that's, that's a driver. So it just provides the motion of being able to spin something and push it. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's right. Yeah, instead Sorry, of it being a drill, it's just... I'm such a girl and I don't understand power <laughs> tools. So you'll have to get your bud sex buds to explain this to me. <laughs> but thank you for buying those because those are definitely cool items and uh, happy drilling. <laughs> we had a wooden walking stick or hiking stick with hand-carved grizzly bear design, 55 inches. Awesome. So yeah, cool. I'm trying to look for the grizzly bear. I guess that's him at the bottom. Yeah, maybe. Perhaps. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's great. It's always helpful when you're, whenever you're going on a hike to have a walking stick. It really does help you walk further. 
Um, you always see that on like Naked and Afraid where they're wearing a walking stick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they have to hike like really far barefoot. They may, may even have two two walking sticks. Um, okay. And we've only got four more items left in the tools and hardware department. We've got some super adhesive fiber fix tape, sixteen ninety nine for the roll of tape. And uh, this I is... think we saw this on <gasps> on Shark, on Shark Tank. Tank. Yeah. You're right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That okay. So this is a Shark Tank product. Yeah. Um. So I'm trying to remember the pitch. I think it was Lori who invested in in this mm-hmm. product. But yeah, it's so this is basically a better type of duct tape. It's a hundred times stronger than duct tape. Hardens like steel in just 10 minutes. P- perfect for permanently fixing leaky pipes, broken tools, broken frames, fishing poles, tent poles, anything else you can wrap it around. So it's like, it's like a duct tape, but it's like hard and it actually really like bonds to the thing. Yeah. Yeah. So very cool. And that's pretty cheap for what the thing does, I would say. Yeah, for three pack, for 17 bucks. That's three great. Pack, yeah. Super cool. So, um, yeah, I'm curious how that works because I definitely remember that product from Shark Tank. Uh, we had the Panasonic Whisper Green Select Fan Light. So this looks like a projector or, or maybe it's like a bathroom fan vent. Yeah, that's, that's meant for a room. But it does, yeah, at first blush, it looks like a projector. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at first blush, it looks like a projector. But uh, on second thought, I see how it could be like, it's basically to hook up to like yeah, a ventilation system for like yeah. a bathroom, you know, yeah. like when you need to get the shower goo out of it. Yeah, or, you know, when it stinks. When it's, st- yes, that's true. There's other <laughs> things that could stink up a bathroom or that could vaporize in, within a bathroom. <laughs> But you got to replace that stuff, you know, because sometimes they go bad. All right. And our last two items in the video games department, we had the RetroLink GameCube style USB wire controller. This looks like... It's fantastic. It's like a Sega controller a little bit. Uh, it, Purple. It, GameCube is Nintendo. It's, oh, GameCube. Um, okay. I've, I've said many a time that this is the greatest controller ever designed. Uh, and I still think it's true. Yeah, uh, you like, got to look at it. It's the ga- RetroLink GameCube style USB wired controller yeah and this is so you could connect it to a computer and use like dolphin which is the gamecube and wii emulator Mm. uh and i mean just just a fantastic i mean it's a great controller to use anyway i mean unfortunately this probably isn't up to nintendo's level of quality but it's still just a great design the dedicated camera button the really fancy triggers the z button i mean it's just it's great yeah, super cool. I like it. And it looks like kind of like animalistic, like an elephant or like an anteater, alien well, bug ant. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, interestingly, that was one of the beauties of it. It's like how good that thing really felt in your hand, especially compared to the other controllers of that generation, of that console generation. Yeah, so it has a good natural feel to it. Good choice. And our last Christmas gift, we have the Nine West Woman's Rose Gold Tone Case Blush Pink Strap Watch. So this is a very nice looking watch from Nine West. $35 price point, so really not too bad. But um, it looks very uh, it looks very nice. Like I would totally wear this watch. And it's kind of got a ro- rose gold and tan kind of coloration to it. Gold uh, numbers on the face. And yeah, it looks like uh, they have this little wrist model that shows you like how big it would be on your wrist. Kind of takes up most of the wrist, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, very nice watch. I like it. Yeah, I'm a big fan of anybody actually wearing wearing actual an actual watches. watch. I know you uh, are. I do it all the time. <laughs> I think it's wonderful. It's unfortunately not water resistant, but hey, who cares? Yeah, thirty five bucks. Yeah, huh? you're not going to be going swimming with this yeah. watch. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it for this week. Thank you so much Ooh. for all the stuff you got through stuff.sexandsciencehour.com, and uh, we certainly do appreciate it. We 
let's see we will be back next friday right yeah, and it's yeah. going to be a whole new year and a whole new uh it's not a new season of sex and science hour nothing nothing really worth mentioning actually <laughs> so we'll be back next week and it'll be like just like any other week <laughs> with another great show for you all <laughs> meantime check out our website show uh still sex and science hour.com email us show at sex and science hour.com or use our contact form on our website and have a very wonderful merry merry c word everybody happy saturnalia everybody. <laughs>